Testing, testing one, two. Sounds like the mic is working. Praise the Lord. And good morning. Let's go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. The message today is entitled, Jesus is Better. Or, you could say, Jesus is the best. Before we read that passage, let's pray. Father, we bow our heads before you as needy people. Desperately in need of your grace, your mercy, the truth of your word. Got a work of your grace in our hearts, a work of your spirit. And Father, would you help us today to look to Christ? For those of us that are in the faith, we thank you, God, for salvation. May we grow in Christ's likeness today. God, would you continue to establish us as a church rooted and built up? in the truth of your word. And then, Father, I pray today for any under the sound of my voice that are still not in the faith that today would be the glorious day of salvation for someone that is still lost in sin, that today they would be found, that they would look to Christ and Jesus, your resurrection power, and they would live they would experience forgiveness and eternal life. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. As you guys know, we've been focusing on missions for the month of May. And Pastor Tom led us through the importance, the sufficiency, the authority of the word of God. That faith indeed comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And Without the word of God, there, there's no salvation. There's no missions. And, and then Pastor Jim last week took us to Matthew chapter 6 of the necessity, the essential nature of prayer. Because think about it, guys. Is there anything that we can do to change a person's heart? <clears throat> and the answer is no. It's a work of God. It's a work of his grace. But yet God has called us to pray. God has called us to preach and teach and proclaim his word because it's through those means of grace that he brings dead hearts to life. And so, Pastor Jim, thank you for reminding us of the essential nature of prayer. And God has answered our prayers today, amen, of seeing Brandon and Gia and Callie called to the mission field of thousands upon thousands of prayers that have gone forth. And God has indeed answered. And today we want to continue of this May month of missions of looking at the important nature of baptism. So this is another means of grace. And what I mean by that, of us experiencing the blessing of God, the joy of God, of how he has commanded us to live in his word. Now John Piper said this about missions. Pastor Tom, you'll appreciate this. I know you and I have used this quote many times. Worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. 
Missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions is our way of saying the joy of knowing Christ is not a private or tribal or national or ethnic privilege. It indeed is for all. And that's why we go. Because we have tasted the joy of worshiping Jesus and we want all the families of the earth included. Think about that. Do we want all families of the earth included? Of every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I sure hope so. If not, we need to repent right now. Because our God is a missionary God. Our God is a God who saves past, present, and future. He's drawing his people to himself. And so my aim today is to show how baptism exalts Christ. And it is an essential part of missions. It's a means of God's grace by his design. Baptism reveals how great a salvation that we have in Christ. And it also shows us our great need for Christ. But let me be clear on the front end, because there's a lot of confusion in many Christian circles. Baptism does not save us. Jesus saves us. Baptism is a, a picture of the work that God does in the heart, of bringing a dead heart, a heart dead in sin, to life or being made alive in Christ. Callie, I thought about you using that word picture. Callie takes wonderful pictures, but they're, they're pictures. They're not the real thing. And so as great as pictures are, we need to understand today, baptism doesn't save. But it really does point us to the one who does save, and his name is Jesus. I thought about Jonathan and Sarah of their wedding recently. And so, Sarah, I saw you earlier. Um, I didn't see Jonathan. I don't know. He may be on call today. But they uh, were married a couple weeks back. And I just want to say it was such a, a Christ-exalting wedding. And there were many pictures or symbols, things that were in the wedding. There was the unity candle that reflected of these two families, these two hearts being knit together, united as one as they took the two candles and they lit the candle in the middle. And then you guys know there's the exchanging of the vows and the exchanging of rings, again, symbolizing this marriage covenant before the Lord of God, taking these two and cleaving them together. And then they sung a song of great is thy faithfulness, which led us just to the throne of God, that it was indeed God that was doing this work and had done this work in them. And they were exalting Christ and they were praising him. And I share all that with you that ultimately all of those signs and all of those symbols and all of those pictures, they were amazing and they were wonderful, but they were pointing to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one that ordained marriage. He was the one that brought them together. And so when we think about baptism, it really is the same. We don't worship baptism. We don't think that baptism in any way saves someone. But yet, it is so important because it points us to the one who does save. And so three pictures that we're going to look at this morning there from Colossians chapter 2. 
Number one, baptismal pictures Jesus giving new life. Jesus giving new life. The second one is Jesus cleanses us from our sin. Jesus cleanses us from our sin. And then the third picture that we will look at this morning is Jesus, his power and his authority as the king. So let's go to Colossians 2, 11 through 15. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So let's look at the first truth today of how baptism pictures Jesus giving new life. Look back at verse 11. The way the verse starts, it says it's, it's in him. It's in Christ. And when you read through the book of Colossians, you're going to see that over and over. Really, when you three, read through all of Paul's letters, you see in Jesus, in Christ, in him. Let me be very clear on the front end. You must be born again. You have to be rescued. You have to be saved. You have to turn from your sin and you have to trust in Christ alone to save you. If you're not in Christ today, you have no life. You have no eternal life. You have no forgiveness. And so it really does, when we think about baptism, it's pointing us to our great need for Christ in Him. Look at what the verse goes on to say. In Christ, the believers in Colossae there were circumcised with a circumcision not done by hands. Indeed, it was a spiritual circumcision. You see, circumcision was a part of the Abrahamic covenant of the the ushering in of that covenant of the that they were uh, all the male children were circumcised that there was this cutting away of the foreskin of this initiation into this covenant with God that Abraham was called to do that and the people of God were commanded to keep that but yet remember the Bible also says, this is the book of Romans, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So as important as this physical circumcision was, it didn't save. Okay, It's God who saves. It's his grace who, that saves. It's his gospel. It's Christ. But yet it was important, but it was, it was pointing forward. And you can go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, I think it is. And then ultimately you come to this passage. Paul is talking about a circumcision that is of so much more importance. It's a spiritual circumcision. It's a cutting away of our old, dead, rebellious, hard heart. And it's the giving of a new heart. A new heart in Christ. God takes our hard heart, as Ezekiel says, and he makes it a soft or a heart of 
flesh. It's this spiritual circumcision that takes place, this circumcision of Christ. And the way that it was accomplished, it was because of what Christ went through on the cross. Think about how he was beaten. Think about how he was bruised. Think about how our sin was placed on him and the wrath of God came down. Jesus paid it all so that you could be set free, so that you could be circumcised, not physically, but spiritually, of your heart being regenerated, being made new. It's the new covenant. It's covenant of grace. This work of Christ, not of anything that we've done, not of our work, but this work of Christ. So the body of flesh is done away with of Christ and we're made alive in him and then you go to verse 12 and he continues that in baptism we are buried with Christ spiritually speaking we are immersed or we're baptized with the spirit and that Greek word baptizo it means to to plunge to dip to immerse to submerge that's why we as Baptists do hold to baptism by immersion because we believe that's what the scriptures teach that that best identifies with what baptism means. John the Baptist said this, I baptize with water, but he that comes after me is greater than me, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. hope we appreciate who the Holy Spirit is and the great work that he does in our lives. When I talk about regeneration, that's a work of the Spirit. You can't regenerate your own heart. You can't make your heart new. The Spirit of God does that in his amazing grace and love. And look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13. When that happens, for in one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. So again, every tribe, tongue, and nation, and all were made to drink of one spirit. There's this spiritual baptism. You're marked with the spirit of God. You're sealed with the spirit of God. You're regenerated by the spirit of God. You're immersed in the spirit of God and you're indwelt by the spirit of God. Think about that. The third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that when you repent and you trust in Christ, God Himself lives in you. And that's also very humbling, isn't it, Stephen? Because I know how sinful my heart is that God would choose to live in this only because God is loving, God is gracious. God is our Savior. Water baptism pictures all of this, right? Galatians 3.27 says, As many as you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ, this new life in Christ. We go down into the water, which represents, right, the old man going down. Now again, it's a symbol, it's a picture. We know that Jesus is the one who does his work in our heart. But water baptism is so significant, it's so powerful, it's so meaningful that when you go down in the water, as Romans chapter 6 says, you're raised to walk in newness of life. 
The old man is put to death and we are now a new person in Christ. And when you're baptized, you're publicly declaring, you are not ashamed of Jesus. Your allegiance belongs to Christ. Look at verse 12, back in Colossians. Colossians 2.12. By the way, you could go to Romans 6 to see a similar passage. We just don't have time this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. So we're buried with him in baptism. We just talked about that. In which you were also raised with him through faith. It's through faith in Christ. In the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Oh, the resurrection, right? Not only did Jesus die, but three days later he resurrected from the dead. And I want you to think about that. The same resurrection power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same resurrection power that's alive in you if you are in Christ. You want to know how to overcome sin today? It's through the Spirit of God that's alive in you. It's trusting in Him. It's walking in Him. It's being filled with Him. It's submitting to Him every single moment of every single day. Because you see, when we walk in the flesh, we fulfill the lust and the desires of the flesh. But when you walk in the Spirit, you fulfill the desires of the Spirit. May we be growing in Christ and growing in the gospel every moment of every day. So we've been able to see just from these two verses how we have this new identity in Christ and how baptism pictures or symbolizes that. It points indeed to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It also reminds us that our old man is put to death in Christ and we are now new in Christ. Jesus indeed gives a new life. And now I'll go to verses 13 and 14 and we'll see our second truth today. The second truth is this. Baptism pictures or symbolizes the that Jesus cleanses us from our sin. Look at verse 13. 13. And you, he's talking to believers there in Colossae, but he says to them, who, he doesn't say are dead, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. That was the old man. You used to be dead in your trespasses, trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter 2. But now you've been made alive in Christ, the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God, look at what it says, made alive together with him. Who made them alive? It was God. It wasn't them. It wasn't another person. I can't save somebody. You can't save somebody. But our God saves. He made them alive. Not because they deserved it, because God is gracious and he's kind, and he's loving, and he saves people from their sin. Look at what it goes on to say. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Does it say some of them? It says all of our trespasses, all of our sin, past, present, future, has been forgiven in Christ. And look at how he explains it there in verse 14. It's by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands you know, in that Roman culture, that Roman time, they would have this certificate or this note of debt 
you are in debt to somebody. We can think of it today. If you have a house payment, you're in debt. If you got a car payment, you're in debt. If you have a student loan, you're in debt. And we could go on and on and on, right? And look at what it says. It's been canceled. All of this debt of its legal demands, and he's not talking about financial debt. He's talking about our sin against the holy God. We are guilty. You can try all you want to say that you're good and you're okay with God and you're better than so-and-so, but the Bible clearly says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one good, no, not one. And when you stand before a holy God, you are guilty. Guys, just think about how you think. Think, myself included, how we talk, how we live. We are all sinners, wretched sinners against a holy God. But it doesn't stop there, does it? He set these aside, nailing it to the cross. That's the beautiful gospel of grace. Christ wasn't dying for his sin. He was dying for the sin of his people. He was paying the debt. Pastor Jim, it's like taking a big stamp, paid in full. You've been set free from the penalty, the debt of sin. Guys, that's good news. We don't deserve that, but Christ graciously gives Martin Luther, he put it this way. He was struggling in his thought life. And you know, when you read Luther, you, you see the spiritual battle over and over in his writings. And he, he felt you know, just the devil tormenting him in his thoughts. And here, here was his response. He said, it is true. Every word of it. So everything the accuser was saying, he's like, it's true. I, I can't deny it. It's true. But then he said this, but right across it all, the certificate of debt, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us or cleanses me from all my sin or all of our sin. We're guilty, but yet we're forgiven. We're guilty, but yet we're set free and we're seen as innocent. We're guilty, but yet we're declared as righteous through faith in Christ. That's what Luther was getting at. Now, let's think about water and baptism and how does all that fit into Jesus and you know this new identity and this cleansing of our sin. Well, think about water. It's a, it's a cleansing agent, isn't it? I mean, you see examples of that in Scripture. We see it in our own everyday life of just physically used in that way. But let's think about it spiritually speaking. Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. We don't have time to turn there. But did you know that Jesus cleanses his bride, the church? By the washing of her with the water of the word. Isn't that awesome? He's constantly cleansing us. He's washing us with the water of the word. And by the way, for all the husbands that are out there, you know what that passage also says? We should be doing the same with our wives and our families. That we're the spiritual leaders of our home. That we're in prayer and we're in the word together. Titus 3.5 talks about the washing of regeneration. By the Holy Spirit. Acts 22, 16, Ananias, and excuse me, Ananias tells Paul to be baptized and to wash away his sins. Ephesians 1, 7, it says it's through the blood 
of Jesus, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. And so, again, guys, hear me say, it's not like we're going to do a baptismal service June the 5th. There at Treasure Island Baptist Church, Lord willing, we'll be in the, the body of water there, right? Those that are going to be getting baptized. But that water is not special, okay? That water is not cleansing their sin. By the way, it'll be really, really cold unless things have changed. It's symbolizing that Christ is the one that washes and cleanses us from our sin. It's not the water of baptism. It's the work of the Spirit of God. Now, let's go to the third truth this morning, our last truth. Baptism also pictures Jesus, his power and his authority as the king. Look at Colossians 2.15, going back to there. says he talking about jesus disarmed the rulers and the authorities now he does that to earthly rulers and authorities but it's really talking more of the context of uh, spiritual rulers and authorities ultimately satan and it says he puts them to open shame by triumphing over them in him now, that, that phrase there of disarming them, he strips away their weapons or he removes their power. He removes their authority. So he's talking about these supernatural forces and powers. And I want you to think about this. You see, at the cross, Satan really thought he was going to win. That it was going to be the, the death blow. And he struck the hill, right? Genesis chapter 3. Verse 15 talks about of the serpent striking the hill. And I mean, you think about a poisonous snake of the strike. It's a, it's a real thing. It's a big deal. But hear me say today, it was at the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. It wasn't the death blow for Jesus. It was the death blow by Jesus to Satan. What does the Bible say? He crushed his head. Satan is defeated, guys. He was defeated at the cross. He was defeated at the resurrection. He's a defeated foe. He's in open shame. When you think about the Roman, the time of that Roman context, and, and this phrase here of how it's talking about putting them to open shame, triumphing over, the, over them, what a Roman leader would do is they would march the king that they had defeated and all their soldiers and all the spoil, they would march them through the streets so that everybody knew that they had defeated that enemy. That Roman leader wanted everybody to know that they had the power. They had the authority. And this is what happened. And I'm just telling you today, Jesus has done that. He's done that. He's defeated our enemy. He's defeated Satan. He's defeated the grave. He's defeated sin. You don't have to live in defeat. You can be set free from the bondage of sin, the power of sin. It's the gospel. Yes, Christ, his kingdom is to come, the consummation. But you need to understand it's also here. Every single day as Christians, I get our world is falling apart. But we have the wonderful opportunity to live out the gospel. To point people to Jesus in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces. And you're on the winning team. You're with Christ. You're in Christ. You don't have to live in defeat and condemnation. The Bible says 
There's no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And you see, baptism pictures all that, guys. Think about that. Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. If Jesus wasn't the resurrection and the life, if Jesus wasn't the victor, if Jesus hadn't already defeated sin and Satan, what kind of newness of life would, be, would we be living in? But he has. That's how you overcome sin. It's through Christ. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 that Pastor Jim read earlier. I won't take us back to that. But did you catch the very first phrase of that passage? Who has all authority? Jesus. All authority. And he tells us to go make disciples. And then he tells us to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And to teach them the ways of the Lord. So I want to leave you with some final thoughts. I know we're getting short on time. But just the significance of baptism. When we think about missions and we know it's for the glory of God. We know it's for the gospel going to the ends of the earth. But don't miss Matthew 28 that I just shared with you. When we're thinking about making disciples, what did it command us to do? To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's this identification with Jesus in baptism. Baptism, you see, is an ordinance, which means it's ordained by Christ. It's commanded by Christ for his followers to keep and to obey. The Lord told us to be baptized and to baptize. I mean, Pastor Doug's been working through the book of Acts. What do you see every time someone repents and believes? They're baptized, if at all possible. Now, I understand we got the thief on the cross who did not have an opportunity to be baptized, so we know that baptism doesn't save us. But if at all possible, if you belong to Christ, are you ashamed to be a Christian? I sure hope not. You should have a desire, according to the word, to be baptized, to publicly declare. Think about all the countries in the world where our Christian brothers and sisters suffer for their faith. And yet they'll go down to the river and they'll be baptized publicly because Jesus means more to them than their very life. John Calvin said it this way, In baptism, we acknowledge the Lord to be our God and ourselves to be enrolled amongst his people. We're not ashamed. John 14, 15, Jesus said this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. One of his commandments, guys, is to be baptized. Baptism is thus a submission issue. We should be submitted to Christ and his commands. And let me throw this in. In obedience to the Lord, there is the fullness of joy in Christ. You want to know one, re one reason why we don't enjoy the Lord? Let's be honest we live in disobedience you want to enjoy the fullness of the Lord the joy of Christ live in obedience to his word by God's grace that's the joy of the Lord obedience is important yes we're saved by faith in Christ but as Calvin also said faith alone is enough to save but saving faith is never alone it leads to 
obedience. Thus, if you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in Christ alone for salvation, you should be baptized. Church, we should exhort people who have been saved by the grace of God to be baptized. Therefore, on June the 5th, Treasure Island Baptist Church, 6 p.m. that Sunday night, we have an opportunity to worship the Lord, to celebrate Christ, all those things I just talked about, new life in Christ, forgiveness of sin in Christ, that Jesus has all power and all authority, and he's the king. Baptism services, I don't know about y'all, but I really enjoy them. It's a great opportunity for us to proclaim the greatness of our God, that in his grace, he's brought somebody from death to life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are mighty to save and that you're gracious. God, you're good and you're kind. God, thank you for the work that you have done and you're doing in our church family. We give you all the glory and all the honor. And Lord, we thank you for baptism and just how you use it to remind us, Jesus, of who you are and the work that you do. And, and also, it, it points us forward. Christ, you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and you've defeated sin and defeated Satan. And one day, the consummation of your kingdom is coming. We look forward to that. And Father, help us to continue to celebrate you. Help us to live in the truth of your word. Help us to walk in the spirit. And Father, again, my final plea, my final prayer for any that are still lost and dead in sin today as they've heard the truth of your word, your wonderful gospel. God, would you be gracious to bring dead hearts to life today that they would trust in Christ for salvation. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, let's worship our great king together. If you guys will all stand and we'll worship the Lord through song. are standing and getting ready to sing with us I do have a story Pastor Jim a story about this song um, back in the 30s Chinese Christians were being severely persecuted and pushed out of the country for sharing Christ um, the author of the hymn facing a task unfinished his name is Frank Houghton um, through China Inland Mission and OMF which is another mission sending agency in the 30s had a conference and Frank Houghton introduced this song um, to them. They also called for 200 people or families to go to the mission field in China, not to run away from China, but to go to China in the persecution. Um, so fast forward 2016, uh, the Gettys, uh, who we love to sing, they write modern hymns. They rearranged the song, added a chorus to it, um, but the words are the same. Um, this hymn was meant to unify uh, the church around the gospel and sending people 
to the mission field. So, um, as you sing with us, the tune uh, is to the Church's One Foundation, which we introduced to you a couple weeks ago. So hopefully you recognize it, but um, the words are very powerful. Um, so sing with us, facing a task unfinished. Yeah. 